Last night, I, uh, we, my wife and I just got back from Western Kentucky. We went down there for a, for an evening, uh, for one evening to spend some time with some friends down in uh, Land Between the Lakes. And when we got back home, uh, we uh, sat on the couch like we typically do and just kind of rested. And it's amazing how when you go on a vacation, no matter how long, you have to come home to rest, right? And uh, so we uh, we got home and we sat on the couch, and we do as we typically do. We're not really exciting people by any means. Uh, we turned on Netflix, and we were going to watch one of our shows. And uh, But right there on Netflix uh, was a show uh, called The Impossible. And I don't know if any of you all have ever seen it, uh, but in 2004, and Jackson was, was in the room, and he saw the trailer to it, and he wanted to watch it, especially when I told him that it was a true story. Now, you all likely remember this, but in 2004, in Thailand, on the day after Christmas, an earthquake occurred, not in Thailand, but outside of Thailand in the middle of the ocean, and the deadliest uh, tsunami ever uh, to occur uh, occurred on that day. Uh, it was particularly poignant to me. I remember that day very, very well because I was in the middle of graduate school uh, working on my doctorate at UK, and my supervisor, uh, I had co-supervisors, uh, husband and wife, and uh, the, the wife uh, is from Thailand, and they actually went to Thailand for Christmas, and they were in Thailand when this tsunami hit. And immediately when that happened, our first thought was our, our mentor, our friend, our leader, is uh, we're not going to see them again. Uh, fortunately for them, they were on another side of Thailand and it didn't impact them uh, physically. Uh, it did impact their communication, stuff, uh, things like that. But anyway, as I was watching that movie again, or the first part of that movie, Jackson wanted to see, the, as many kids do, they, he wanted to see that tsunami come in and see the destruction, that thing. And it was, it, it's, it's an, uh, nature is a very powerful thing. Uh, God is more powerful still. And what we see, uh, what, was, what was so uh, obvious was that none of these individuals knew what was getting ready to happen. Uh, the story is the story, the impossible, the movie is about a Spanish family played by an English family, but it's about a Spanish family who went there on a, uh, on a, on a sort of vacation slash job uh, retreat, and they were there over Christmas, and their children open their gifts and that sort of thing, and uh, then all of a sudden they go out to their pool because it's nice weather and everything, and when they're out there, all of a sudden the breeze starts, things start shaking a little bit, the electricity goes out, and then all of a sudden this monstrosity of a, a tsunami uh, overwhelms pretty much uh, half of Thailand. Now, did they know that that was coming? They absolutely didn't know. They had no idea. In fact, it probably resembled in some way exactly what Jesus is talking about in some way right here in Matthew chapter 24. You do not know the day or hour. You don't know what's coming next. You have no idea. And here at the end of this, in verse 44, Jesus says, This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He is letting us know. He says there is going to be another judgment, and He is letting us know it is coming. As in the day of Noah, 
all right? You don't, you don't know, no one knew the day or the hour. And so that judgment is coming again. However, in the story, the account of Noah, there was one person that knew. It was Noah. It was Noah. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. So just a little bit of background behind, behind this. Uh, it says, by faith, again, let's read this again, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about uh, what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back and I just want to read that text so we're all on the same page. So if you go to Genesis chapter 6, Beginning in verse 5, it says this, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. No one saw what was getting ready to come. Now, just let's just make a, a couple comments about this before we begin. Number one, sin blanketed the earth. There was a, a wickedness across the earth. Now, we might say it's a wickedness that we, we, we can't even comprehend. Folks, I believe that we can comprehend it, all right? I, I dare say that the wickedness that, w- that, is ex- that, was, that Noah's day was experiencing is one that we could relate to. I don't think anybody in here will deny that, there is an, that, there is, that evil exists, that wickedness exists. What was the wickedness that God was, re- that he was describing? Well, murder, for instance. People were killing one another. I mean, the very first sin after the fall, what happens? Cain murders Abel. Deceit, lies, deceit, falsehoods, likely sexual sin. And I take that from the previous verses. There's likely rampant sexual sin. But more, most importantly, there was unbelief. There was every kind of wickedness. Every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil, except we have this contrast of Noah. Now, Noah was not a perfect man, but Noah stood in stark contrast to those around him with regards to holiness. When the entire culture was moving one direction, Noah was walking with the Lord. He was counter-cultural even then. And due to this wickedness, it says that God regretted his decision to create man and decided to destroy everything through this flood. Now, what does it mean that God regretted? He uses it twice in here. And we would be in error if we believed that God felt that he was in error of, of making man. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that God felt that he made a mistake. All right, to regret something does not mean that it is an acknowledgement of there being a mistake. It just means that you, there's deep sorrow, that, you, that it, would, it is not the outcome that you would love to have, but it's the necessary outcome. Oftentimes, we have regret 
over things that we do, that we have to do, or things that we have done, not because there's a mistake, but just because the outcome... For instance, I'll use this very, this very uh, simple uh, explanation. When I have to discipline one of my children... I regret having to discipline my, my children. It doesn't mean I made a mistake in, in disciplining them. They needed to be disciplined. But I regret it. I regret that that had to be done, if that makes sense. And so by God creating, once God has created humanity, they have now fallen into sin and deep, wicked, wicked sin. And now God looks upon creation in which he loves, and he regrets that he created it because he sees the sin in which they have committed. And so he then instructs Noah of his plans. So the one individual he tells is Noah, the one whom God favors, and tells him to construct this monstrosity of a boat and then collect specimens from all the different kinds of animals and plants. And so it says here, there are, these are the family records of Noah. This is starting in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw the, how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finished, finishing the sides and the ark to the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door inside of the ark, make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood, floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons and your wives, your wife and your son's wife. And then it continues to go on and talks, it describes how God was going to help preserve his creation. So he is destroying everything, but he is choosing to preserve some. Now, here's the thing we see God's judgment. In this case, God's judgment for the wickedness that has ran rampant, run rampant across the earth. But what we also see is God's grace. We see God's mercy as well. Could not God have just simply decided to just crush everybody and just lay waste to absolutely everything? Yet he doesn't. God demonstrates grace, he demonstrates mercy, and he shows it to Noah. And then it says here in verse 22. It says, and Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded. So let's look at Noah this morning briefly, all right, as an example of what it means to walk in faith, to walk with the Lord, and the title of this message, to build upon the promises. And that's exactly what Noah was doing here. And so Noah, first off, followed a different beat. He followed the beat of a different drummer. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. This is verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 6. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. He walked counter 
culturally. He did things different. When the culture was going south, he was going north. He was following the Lord. And so we see like Enoch, we see that Noah walked with God. He walked by faith and certainly not by sight as we're soon going to see, right? And so God does not elaborate to any, uh, any other human that he's getting ready to judge the earth in this way, but he does elaborate to Noah, okay? Now we might look back at that and we say, well, Noah was informed by God, so this is easy, right? It's easy for him to make the decision to go ahead and build the ark to save his family, to save some kinds of creation so that there could be flourishing after the flood has rescinded. But that's a really easy conclusion to come to because the truth is, is that we see God's promises all day long in Scripture, yet we still fail to walk by faith. We still turn skeptical at times. Yet Noah, with a much briefer history, we don't have this, he does not have this entire codex yet for him to follow, yet Noah has seen enough of God's promises that he chooses to trust. The hallmark of Noah's faith is that he believed God. It says, by faith, Noah after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear. What does that mean? It means he has seen what God has done and that has motivated him, that God is not like culture and deceitful. God is telling the truth and he will come through on his promises. Built an ark to deliver his family. The hallmark of Noah's faith is that he believed God. Not simply that he believed in God, but that he believed God's promises. There are countless individuals who believe there is a God. So they believe in God. They believe in the existence of God, or they say so. But they don't necessarily believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. If more individuals actually believed that God would do what he said he was going to do, people would be walking a much straighter path. And that's just the truth. And I think I've told you this before, is that I don't actually believe the majority of individuals really believe there's a hell, all right? Because they wouldn't behave and act as if they're going straight there. You know where I'm going with that? You know, it's just that we talk about hell and judgment with such flippancy. Is that a word? I'm making it up. I think I'm qualified. We can do it, okay? They're just flippant about it, you know? In fact, you'll even hear people telling them to go there, right? Folks, if you really believed in hell and God's judgment, you would not wish that upon your worst enemy you would wish that they would be saved, saved by God's grace. And so the hallmark of, of Noah's faith is not that he just believed in God, but that he believed that God would fulfill his promise. When God said, I'm going to send a flood to judge the earth, I'm going to do it. And Noah believed, and he had godly fear, godly reverence for that. And so walking with God is not simply doing the right thing, that's just morality, okay? And morality can be informed, it can be informed by God. Hopefully our morals are informed by God. But morality, morality is subject to cultural influence. 
So morality can be informed by society, by culture, and by peer pressure, right? We see individuals changing morals uh, like the wind. It just changes like the weather, right? Based upon whom they're around, where the pressure is coming from, and what the culture dictates. However, walking with God is not just doing the right thing, it's doing the righteous thing, the holy thing. And righteousness is always directed by God. It's directed by God. It's also almost always countercultural. It's almost always countercultural. You've heard me say that Christians should look weird compared to culture. Well, that's what I mean, is that we are doing, if we are walking with Christ, we are going to look different than the culture, because the cultural on, at large is not walking with God. It's walking against God's precepts, but we are called to walk with Him. And finally, righteousness is accomplished by faith. It's not just accomplished through trial and error. Well, that didn't go well. I probably need to redirect, right? It's always determined and accomplished by faith. And so Noah, first of all, followed the beat of a different drummer. But Noah also took God at his word. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. This faith that Noah had was also a gift of God. And so what I mean by that is that what God is telling Noah is so fantastic, so supernatural, so otherworldly, if you will, the only way that Noah would believe that and then act upon it is if he had been given the faith by God to actually believe. I mean, let's be real. Building an ark this substantial in this day, all right, I know we have an ark up in northern Kentucky that they built, right? Well, I know that it was built with cranes, okay? Noah didn't have a crane. He didn't have an army of people building this ark, okay, like we do today. Noah builds this, and it was by faith. And so God or Noah took God at his word. So today, with regards to the flood, uh, there's a huge divide. There's a huge divide on whether or not the flood was real or not. Now, uh, this week and next week before Thanksgiving in my biology class that I'm teaching, uh, we are in the section on evolution, uh, which is always entertaining. I, I, I always in, enjoy teaching that section, uh, in partly because of the challenges that it poses to me. How do I teach this in a way that is both honoring God, but also honoring the material that I've been asked to teach, right? It's kind of a, um, it's kind of a, a juggling that has to be done there, right? And so I'm going to be teaching that. And one of the things that I always am fascinated about is how science, and I would say historical science with regards to this, not lab bench science, uh, has to do uh, scientific somersaults in order to make the science work out in its favor to have this multi-billion-year universe, all right? There are some fantastic gymnasts in the science world to make this work out, 
right? And the flood is one of those features that is scoffed about in science, that there's no way this could happen. Folks, I stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and they are trying to tell me that a little river over many years, I realize water's powerful, over many, many years, that little river carved that monstrosity of a thing. Folks, it is much easier to believe that an almighty God created that with a universal flood. It's much easier for me to believe that, all right? Yet that's what faith does. It's easy, not because that I'm some sort of uh, supernatural astute individual. It's because I've been gifted with faith. You all have been gifted with faith. It's easier for us to believe and understand that. And so many individuals believe that it was some sort of mythic tale meant to frighten us about God's wrath and judgment. It is true, it is true that other cultures and other religions have very similar tales to the flood. These creation myths, these flood myths, if you will, they have similar tales to try to explain things. Well, here's something interesting, is that if some big massive event did occur, it would make sense that other cultures might try to explain that as well, right? And so some believe it's a mythic tale just meant to frighten us about God's judgment. Others believe it's a legend designed to explain diversity, natural diversity. But we, as believers in Christ, believe that it is a demonstration of God's holiness, His judgment, His wrath, and His mercy. That's what we believe. We believe that the flood actually occurred. And then, on the flip side... We have individuals that suggest if we only had a splinter of the ark, we would believe. If we only had a picture of the ark, we would believe. That'd be uh, fancy, wouldn't it? Man, I really wish they had a digital picture of the ark. I'd believe it then. Folks, there were individuals who were eyewitnesses to what Christ did and they still didn't believe. Eyewitnesses to what Jesus did, and they didn't believe. Faith is not about seeing. Faith is about believing, and it is a gift that we are given. As Bible-believing Christians, we believe that the, 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 the record that Moses wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is true. We believe that the flood occurred. We believe that the flood was not just regional, that it was universal, that it was global, that the flood covered the earth, that God did exactly what He said He did. We believe that. The Bible does not call us to read this story as a myth, a parable, a legend, or a fable. It is very clear as we read throughout Scripture that the Bible treats the story of Noah and that flood as a real event, that this really occurred. Jesus never describes, just like in the days of that myth of Noah, or just like the parable of Noah and the flood, no, He says, just like in the days of Noah, this is going to occur. The flood is real. And so while we struggle in believing a historical event 
an event that has already taken place, Noah gave himself into this God-sized task on the promise of a supernatural event. He gave himself into the fact that God was going to answer his promises. He was taking God at his word. Noah trusted God. He had already seen what God had done with creation based upon the accounts of Moses. And now God is promising that he is going to flood this earth and Noah is taking him at his word. How do we know that? Because he built the ark. That's the proof. No one is going to spend that much time and effort to build an ark of that size if he doesn't believe the word of God. So faith is not uninformed, but it is a gift. What do I mean by that? That God had already revealed himself to be faithful in the past. And so when we say that faith is blind, I, I, I disagree with that in part. And why do, why do I believe it? Why do I disagree with that? Because we have evidence of God already being faithful. Why do we believe that God is going to answer his promise here? Because he's already answered his promise. Now, we might understand, we could see where Noah might be skeptical. It does not say that Noah was, but we could see where he might. We could look at Abraham later and see where he might be skeptical. He does not have the history that we have laid out before us, but they weren't. They just moved when God told them to move. Yet we run as skeptics so often, not trusting that God is going to answer the promises that he has. So God has already revealed himself to be faithful in the past. So faith is not always blind, but only God Gifted faith could prompt Noah's action. And so there is a difference between having faith in something small, something intimate. There is a difference between having faith that leads you to build an ark. All right? That is God-sized, God-gifted faith. But God calls us to have that as well. What is that God-sized, God-gifted faith that He has blessed us with? It's this. Trusting that even in our sin, while we were sinners, that God loved us enough to send His only Son to die for us. That even while we were sinners, that God would provide a way for us to be reconciled. How do we believe something like that? That God's Son would, first of all, be sent in love to die for sinners, and then that He would be resurrected to new life, defeating death on our behalf. How is it that we, as sinners, could believe something like that? The same type of faith that God gifted Noah with that caused him to build an ark. It's that level of of faith. So the question is, do we take God at his word? Do we believe, as Noah believed and built an ark, do we believe that God sent his only son, that Christ did die, that Christ was buried, that Christ did rise again, and that God, that Christ has given his life for us, that if we would believe that we might be saved. Do we trust God will come through? Or do we hedge our bets? 
do we hedge our bets? What do I mean by hedging our bets? Well, I believe that God is real, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to participate in these Christian things, but I'm going to still really depend on my works. Does that make sense? I'm going to read my Bible, but I'm going to trust these crystals hanging from my rearview mirror. Not this crystal. Trust her. I'm talking about those shiny ones. She's shiny too. You know what I'm saying, all right? This is not going to make any sense on the podcast. That's okay. All right? But you get the idea here, right? We don't hedge our bets. We are all in for Jesus. And so finally, we see here at the end of, of Hebrews that we have a model of faith. And so the author of Hebrews says this, that Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, we understand as believers in God's Word and God, we understand that God is the only one that has the authority to condemn and reward with regards to eternal judgment. So it is obvious here that Noah was not condemning in that sense, that Noah was passing judgment. That's not what's happening here. However, Noah's faith condemns a wicked world by revealing the evil and the sin that characterizes the rest of humanity. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you have, so, when you have a culture that is so countercultural, okay, or I'm sorry, when you, have a, when you have a culture that is so evil and filled with wickedness, yet you have a man walking with God who is so countercultural, that is going to condemn the culture just by being who he is. And I would say the same thing for the church. How often have we heard individuals that we work with or friends or family that look at us and they say, you're just a goody two-shoes. You're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Okay. That what they're really saying is, is that you're just too good. You're, ju you're, you're just too holy. You're almost useless. All right, you're you're useless in this world because you're just you're 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 too godly. You're too into that Jesus stuff. You're too. Let me always be accused of being too into that Jesus stuff. All right, and if you don't have any need for me, if you don't have any use for me, that's perfectly fine. All right, because I'll be fine and dandy letting God use me in the way that He's going to use me. All right, and that's what's happening here. You're being you by just the very fact that you're walking with Christ are condemning the world around you. You're revealing the wickedness of the culture around you. That's what the author is talking about here. He condemned the world and then became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so Noah's faith is an example of what it looks like to follow Christ. That's what it looks like. Noah was all in. He didn't hedge his bets. Noah did not dig for himself a cave with a door that he could climb in. Noah did not find a rooftop that he could stand on just in case the ark thing didn't work out. All right? Noah went straight to it. Are we all in for Christ? He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's faith reveals in humanity what it looks like to transgress Christ as well. And so we see in Noah what it looks like to follow Christ, and by his faith, we are able to see, in contrast, what it looks like to transgress against the law of God. So God can use our faith 
to both encourage people to trust Jesus as well as also revealing the depravity of man. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, that's not a judgmental task that we're being called to. That doesn't mean that we're to go around and start pointing out all the things that are wicked in humanity. That's not what we mean. What we mean is follow Christ, live out your faith in Christ, and let that be a condemnation enough on the world around you. It will be very obvious that there is something different about you. When someone comes up to you and says, how can you be so calm and so happy and so peaceful when the world is burning down around you? I think that this is a very appropriate point to make that statement, all right, where we are right now in the season of of our country. How can you be so calm? How can you not be so worried? How can you not be so distressed? Because my king doesn't sit in the White House. My king sits on a throne next to God Almighty. That's why I'm not worried. I'm not fretting. Yeah, I'm interested. I participate, but I'm not freaking out. Because Donald Trump isn't king. Joe Biden's not king. Jesus is. All right, he's king. So we don't, we, we don't let ourselves fall apart because our, the culture around us is following apart. We keep on modeling Christ in hopes that the model that we are living will change the culture around us by God's grace. That's what we do. That's what we do. So Noah is an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This means that Noah has received what is promised. So God made a promise. And Noah believed in that promise. And he is an heir to that promise, just like if we are followers of Christ, we are also counted as heirs. And so this morning, are we all in to Jesus? Are we willing to just say, we're all in for this? We're all in for this. We're not going to be swayed by culture. We are not going to feel pressured by the world around us to move left or to move right, but we are moving straight ahead towards Christ. Everything else can fall by the wayside. We're not going to feel pressured by that kind of stuff. We're just going to keep moving ahead straight following Christ, and praying that that our model of Christianity, that our model of faith will make an impact, that it will influence, that it will encourage, that it will condemn, that it will lead to others seeing Christ for who He is. Glorious and wonderful, compassionate and kind. Is that the life, is that the promise that we're going to believe this morning? And that was what Noah, I mean, imagine if Noah had hedged his bets. Imagine if Noah had not believed God. God, I see that you created all things, right? And I see you are right. Everybody is wicked. Bob down the street deserves every bit of what you're getting ready to lay out to him. All right? Deserves every bit of it. But you're telling me that you're going to do a flood and you're going to flood the whole earth. Are you being hyperbolic? Are you just exaggerating with that? Are you just going to have like this big storm? Oh, by the way, what's rain? Right? Not seen that one yet. There's a lot of faith going on with Noah here. But he doesn't. He doesn't. 
And Noah reaps the benefits because of it as well. Eventually that flood rescinds. It dissipates. And many scholars believe that part of the inheritance is not just this internal inheritance that Noah receives, but that his inheritance is this new lush earth that he gets to inhabit and in some ways uh, recreate the garden in a way, in a way, if you will, because now there's a time to start over. So let me commend you and let me suggest and encourage to you that when God promises something, just believe it. Just believe it. When God says something in his word, just believe it. Just trust it, even if it seems crazy to the culture. When God says he's going to flood the earth, believe him. When God says he created all things in six days and on the seventh day he's rested, just believe it. Just believe it. When God says, I'm sending my son back again, and you don't know the day or the hour, don't focus on the day or the hour. Focus on the fact that Christ is coming back. That's what matters. Not the day or the hour, but the fact that it is going to happen. Focus on that and believe it. And if we believe it, and if we trust it, then we will live accordingly. So may we be marked as individuals who believe that Christ is coming again, and may our lives play out in that way.